Welcome to the Time Out Bulls podcast driven by Lexus. You can visit a Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer today to test drive the 2017 Lexus RX. Our guest today on Time Out Bulls is Jerry Colangelo. And when I was putting our podcast together and I was asked, you know, how would you describe Jerry Colangelo? And the only way I can describe this man is he is an icon. He is a basketball living legend. He has touched so many areas of the game, and this game has benefited from the wisdom, the intelligence, the pulse, the vibe, just the passion of Jerry Colangelo. And so what you're going to hear today on Time Out Bulls is about his upbringing in Chicago and then going on to college. And then from college, he gets a job, which eventually leads to the Bulls, the Baby Bulls. I'm talking about the expansion Baby Bulls. And then, of course, what a job he did with the Phoenix Suns and USA Basketball. But enough of this. I want you to listen and absorb the message of one Jerry Colangelo. So, Jerry, thanks for appearing with us today on our uh, Bulls uh, podcast, Time Out Bulls. And I want to start uh, with uh, Bloom Township for a moment and what that area means to you, where you grew up and how your ideology, so to speak, was shaped and formed as a youngster where you are now. Sure. Um, <clears throat> Chicago Heights was uh, a booming little uh, community uh, during uh, World War II and a uh, very industrial area. And, and I came from an Italian neighborhood called Hungry Hill in Chicago Heights, very ethnic-oriented. And, um, you know, it was there I got my foundation um, relative to uh, priorities in life, relative to um, you know, understanding what hard work was all about, family, commitment, uh, creating a, a passion for whatever you're doing. And although people didn't have very much, uh, we understood that you share what you had and everyone's neighbor was uh, part of the family. And uh, I would never trade any of that upbringing for all the money in the world because I think it, it molded me uh, for the future. So that, that neighborhood, Jerry, do you still stay in touch with people that um, you grew up with, or do you revisit that area when you're back in Chicago? You know, I make a, make a habit, uh, <clears throat> Chuck, of going back to Chicago Heights when I pass through Chicago because it keeps me grounded to go back into the old neighborhood. That's changed considerably. Um, in some ways, it looks like a little bit of a war zone, but to... Um, you know, to travel the streets, actually even the alleys of uh, where I used to hang out and where I used to play ball and the playground, and uh, it just keeps me keeps me uh, grounded, as I said a minute ago, because you can't ever forget where you came from. Uh, it makes you appreciate what you have, obviously, um, but it just uh, it just keeps you in good stead. How influential were your parents? regarding sports or just the way you view life growing up in Bloom Township and that, that area of Chicago Heights? You know, I grew up in a home that my immigrant grandfather built out of the remnants of two railroad boxcars and some extra lumber. And uh, it was a very small house. Uh, we didn't have much in the way of uh, 
utilities, facilities, um, kind of a broken family to some degree, and uh, a mom who only had the opportunity to go through the fourth grade of school. Mm. Uh, and so basically, uh, I picked up a lot from uh, people in our neighborhood who had better circumstances to some degree relative to family. And uh, I knew what I didn't want, uh, which led to what I did want. And what did you not want, Jerry? Well, to me, it was important to, uh, to focus on, on, you know, what, what is life all about? You know, it's about family. It's about faith. It's about giving your best and uh, your all to whatever you're committed to. And uh, I'm talking now about work ethic. I'm talking about basic fundamentals of, of trying to be a good person. And uh, so, again, uh, I'm very thankful that I went through all the experiences I did, good, bad, and indifferent, um, but it certainly prepared me for the future. Well, it, it certainly did, uh, because you went on uh, to play collegiately. Um, when's the first time you remember, Jerry, you picked up a basketball and when it started to come together, like, you know what, I really like this sport? Well, first of all, um, you know, sports was the proverbial uh, my way out, if you would. Uh, you know, what did we do? You know, we delivered newspapers, we caddied at country clubs, we played ball. Uh, you know, we weren't sitting in front of a TV set. This is before TV. Mm -hmm. And so we were out on the playgrounds or playing ball all the time. And so uh, at seven, um, I picked up a basketball and smelled it. And the smell of the leather uh, was the beginning of a love affair that's lasted my entire lifetime. Um, I went out for a junior high basketball team and got cut in seventh grade, which really was an incentive for me uh, to come back and kind of show the coach that I could play. And uh, he kept me my uh, second year of the eighth grade year, and I was a starter by the end of the season. And, and fortunately, my career started to take off from that point on. Now, Jerry, when, when one reads your bio, it always says, All Big Ten, University of Illinois. But if memory serves me correct, did you begin your career at Kansas? I did. Um, you know, after uh, being fortunate enough to play with some great players at Bloom Township High School um, and having one of the top teams in the state uh, my junior and senior years, I remember when Don Nelson um, – who, of course, had a great NBA career, mostly as a coach. Certainly he played a number of years, but he was from Rock Island, Illinois, and uh, both Bloom and Rock Island were ranked in the top four. And They came to our place and played early in the season, and we blew them out. Um, but Nellie and I competed our entire lifetimes, hmm. you know, not only in high school, but in college. He was at Iowa while I was at Illinois. Uh, and then in the pros. But to answer your question, Chuck, uh, yeah, coming out of high school, I had a lot of offers. I was very um, uh, fortunate in that sense, but I limited my interest to four schools, Illinois, Michigan, Notre Dame, and Kansas. Um, Kansas, because there was a guy named Will Chamberlain playing there. <laughs> and uh, I would have had the opportunity as a sophomore 
to play with him his senior year. Freshmen back in those days were ineligible to play. Um, so I did go to Kansas, figuring we could win a championship. I lockered next to Wilt. I practiced with him every day. And one night he uh, advised me he wasn't coming back to school. He decided to sign with the Globetrotters for $75,000 back in 1957 mm. and uh, wait a year to be eligible for the draft. Back in those days, you had to wait until your high school class graduated to be eligible for the NBA draft. And once he made that decision, I made mine that I was going home. And I uh, went to the University of Illinois. I met my wife for 56 years uh, when I arrived there. So that was a good move. And uh, had a career at Illinois that um, got me an education. I played a little bit more baseball after hurting my arm. Two years of baseball in college, and, and that ended that. But it, it's kind of interesting how everyone's life journey is, is a little bit different and how it shapes your future. And in my case, I thought I'd coach and teach. I started taking business courses like business law, accounting, economics. And again, it all kind of prepared me for what would happen just uh, four years after I graduated from college. Jerry, what was your first job out of college? I went into a business back in Chicago Heights with a good friend of mine in the tuxedo business, rental sales, dry cleaning business. I was playing ball in two different leagues, making $50 a game uh, when there were enough receipts to pay the players. <laughs> and so it was a semi-pro league. I was the only white guy on an all-black Chicago team, and um, I got traded during one one of those seasons for Sweet Charlie Brown, if you remember oh, that yeah. name. Yes, uh, he and Paxton Lumpkin of uh, uh, Dusable theme back in the old days, back in the early fifties, and of course, Sweet Charlie played with Elgin Baylor at the University of Seattle when they had some great teams mm -hmm. back in those days. So, you know, I was around the game. I was playing. Um, I was in business, <clears throat> and then I met a guy who changed my life, and that was Dick Klein, um, who had a dream, and that was to bring pro basketball to Chicago, and he asked me to be part of that quest, and that led to the birth of the Chicago Bulls. Now, Jerry, Chicago had the Zephyrs, they had the Packers. Where, where, where was pro ball at in this city when the Bulls arrived in the mid-'60s? Well, it was void of professional basketball because the last franchise had moved. It was had been owned by a guy named Dave Traeger, who was in the insurance business, and that franchise moved to Baltimore to, to become the Baltimore Bullets, which today, of course, are the Washington Wizards. Um, so uh, when Klein and I got together, as we started talking with people, we were being turned away. We were being shut down. Uh, people saying basketball will never make it again. It's failed a few times here in the city, and it's never going to happen. Uh, of course, we didn't take that for, for an answer. We kept pursuing, um, and we slowly started to put things together. But really, it only took six months uh, to put a deal together. 
I recalled meeting with Walter Kennedy, who was a commissioner of the NBA at the time, uh, declined myself, and the price tag for the franchise was going to be $750,000, and that's what we pursued. We wanted to play at the stadium, but the Wirtz family said no. Um, we went to the amphitheater. That was the only, uh, obviously, the only other option we had at the time. And uh, before, while we were raising money, um, they raised the price tag from seven fifty to a million two fifty. And I recall Elmer Rich, whose family owned Simon Eyes Wax, who was one of our partners, was willing to step up and fill the gap and give us time to go out and raise additional money, capital. Uh, but it all came together in six months and. And Klein, who was in the incentive merchandising business at the time, said to me, he said, Jerry, you can do one of two things. I'll give you the incentive merchandising business, or you could stay with me in basketball. And he said, what would you like to do? And I looked at him and said, Dick, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you in basketball. I said, well, that's what I'll do. Wow, that's a great story. So, Jerry, what were your responsibilities with the Bulls when, when you uh, assumed the, um, the rank of, you know, running or assisting in the organization? Well, first of all, Chuck, this was a mom-and-pop operation, as was every franchise in pro sports at the time. And so we only had a handful of people to start, start our business. So what did I do? Anything that needed to be done. I put together all the marketing. Uh, I did all the scouting. I assisted decline in every facet of the business because we only had six people uh, to run an organization. And it was a great, great training ground for me, the so-called learning in the trenches, learning in the foxhole. That's exactly what I did. You make mistakes, you learn from your mistakes. And it was a wonderful experience that certainly prepared me for the future. Yeah, there's a picture of yourself and Dick Klein in the Bulls office, Jerry, and you've probably seen this many, many times. You're wearing a white hat, and you're in a stockyard. <laughs> well, here's what we did, Chuck. This is this is a good story. Uh, to launch our sales campaign, uh, came up. I came up with the idea of a live bull on a flat car. <laughs> and we would we would drive. We drove down Michigan Avenue at lunch hour. <laughs> And the three of us were passing out pamphlets trying to sell season tickets. And I think we may have sold four that, uh, that day, but it was, uh, it was quite an experience. And, uh, that, that photo is something I'll always remember. Now, Jerry, was, was the nickname given the Chicago franchise, was that, uh, just a done deal that let's, let's put two and two together regarding Midwest stockyard, let's let's come up with bulls or did you have a name the team contest or how did the nickname of the bulls arrive well there's a couple of stories here that have circulated um and they're a little bit different but it really doesn't matter as it uh, as to who gets so-called credit um my recollection is as follows that uh, dick and i were having lunch on uh, on rush street one night as we were getting close to an announcement. Bear in mind that no one in Chicago, including the media, had any concept that we were pursuing a franchise. And so Klein over dinner said, 
fuck, we don't even have a name, and within two weeks, we're going to know whether we have a franchise. So what are you thinking? And I said, well, Dick, my opinion is since we're playing at the amphitheater, it's the old stockyards where all the, you know, mm-hmm. the animals slaughtered over many, many decades. Um, and Chicago has a certain image, you know, bulls just seem to be like a logical name because I, I remember saying to him, I said, I know the newspapers like short names uh, for headlines, Cubs, Sox, Bears, um, that, that bulls just seem to be unnatural. And within 24 hours, we had a logo printed up uh, with that bull. And to the best of my knowledge today, even today, after all these years, bear in mind, this was in 1966 that we're referring to. It's the only logo in the NBA that's never changed. It was so good a logo. It, it was such a great representation of the name and the city, et cetera, et cetera, that it's withstood the test of time. You're absolutely correct. It is the only team of the NBA that has never changed its logo. Wow. This is terrific stuff. You're listening to the voice of Jerry Colangelo, who's in practically every Hall of Fame for his accomplishments, not only in basketball, but for humanitarian reasons as well. Uh, very philanthropic uh, for uh, the Colangelo family. And so, Jerry, what about the colors like red, white, and black? Did, did you come up with those, or how did that happen? Did the league get involved with the, the colors, or was that before its time? That that kind of, um, I don't remember the exact detail. I know we had a, an advertising agency that helped us with that selection. But again, those colors represented um, what we had in, in our minds relative to a a logo, uh, something that would represent the toughness, if you will, of the city of Chicago. And uh, it just seemed to fall in place so easily. Um, What's really funny about all of this conversation about the naming of the team and the logo, today companies pay millions of dollars for that advice. And, uh, you know, declining myself <laughs> dinner decisions over dinner over dinner <laughs> and uh and that's the way it all that's the way it was back in those days so you, you're you're looking you go through the expansion draft and, and you're trying to find a coach and that coach was johnny red kerr so how did you select him what was the process and your mindset of, of going after johnny kerr <clears throat> well i think his story has been out there in the past but the truth of the matter is that Ray Meyer was our first selection. Really? Uh, the head coach. He was coaching at uh, DePaul University in Chicago at the time. And our interest in Johnny Kerr was to be an assistant coach, a local guy from Tilden Tech, University of Illinois. Um, and he was, after a stellar Ironman career in the NBA, uh, he was going to retire and we were going to name him an assistant coach. Um, and then at the last minute, Ray Meyer was persuaded not to leave DePaul, um, and we had to change our plans. And we switched over to Johnny Kerr as the head coach and hired Al Bianchi as the assistant coach. 
also remember, Chuck, that back in those days, very few teams even had assistant coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a different era back then. You know, today there are probably 10 suits sitting on the bench to go along with players. So you could see how this thing has mushroomed over the years. Very much so. You know, Jerry, I grew up in Seattle, and I remember when the Sonics became an expansion team, Al Bianchi was actually their first head coach. Um, well, after his first year in Chicago, after his first year in Chicago, Sam Shulman, who was the the owner um, of the proposed new franchise in Seattle, came to Chicago, and this is the first year of the Bulls, and he actually uh, was trying to entice me to come to Seattle. Really? I was 26 years old at the time, but he wanted me to come in um you know, in a quasi-general managership uh, role, and he wanted Bianchi as the uh, head coach. And uh, as it turned out, I said to him, uh, you know, I'm a Chicago guy. I'm happy as all get out being here with a, a local franchise. I couldn't be happier. I'm not going anywhere. And by the way, don't take this uh, personally, but back back in 1966, I still thought, there were Conestoga wagons in Seattle and there were <laughs> roads. I'd never been up there. So uh, Bianchi took the job and he was their first coach. Uh, well, I mean, it was, uh, it was quite a year for the Bulls number. Uh, I mean, you had a number of uh, opportunities to see the team every day. They went to the playoffs. I think it's the first expansion team ever to make the playoffs. Is that right, Jerry? Yes, we won 33 games. It was uh, a fabulous year because it was all so new. Everything was new for us. And uh, um, it was just fun to to go to work every day and uh, play those games, get acquainted in the NBA. And, you know, I tell the story that on one of my very first scouting trips, um, we were the 10th team, by the way, in the NBA. There were only nine teams in the NBA back in 65 so we were number 10 and uh i was in kansas city at the small college naia tournament to to receive my credentials and i went to press row and someone tapped me on the shoulder and said you must be colangelo my name is marty blake i'm the gm of the st louis hawks he introduced me to four others who were scouting all the teams in the NBA didn't scout. Mm. You know, some of them just went by uh, the basketball periodicals to see who were the prospects. And so for three days, we watched eight games a day, and each night we went to the Italian Gardens restaurant in KC around the corner from the old Muehlbach Hotel, which was the headquarter hotel. And I listened to stories from uh, the people sitting around the table and there were a couple of future Hall of Famers who were in that group. Buddy Jeanette, who was the GM, former player, and then GM of the Baltimore Bullets, and Red Holtzman, who was scouting for the Knicks at the time before he became a coach and won a few championships. And On the third night, uh, after eight games a day, um, Red turned to me and he said, Hey, kid, you're going to be okay in this league. And I turned to him and I said, uh, what do you mean, Red? He says, you keep your mouth shut because you don't know anything. You talk about great advice. It's, it's advice that I've given 
um, a lot of young people as they've come through the uh, the business. Uh, and I must tell you, Red's comments to me were a little bit more flowerly than what I just described to you uh, when he was giving me that advice. But the point is, be a sponge, learn from people who have been around, done it, um, because that's how you that's how you can get somewhere. Thanks for tuning in to the Timeout Bulls podcast, driven by Lexus. The redesigned Lexus RX is the perfect blend of chiseled design, aggressive performance, and luxury finishes. And with 44 inches of legroom, even our Bulls athletes would be comfortable in one. Visit your Chicago area and Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to test drive an RX today. And the irony of it is that 10 years later, you would meet Red Auerbach's Boston Celtics franchise in the NBA Finals and one of the greatest finals ever. Um, tough one for the Suns, but having said that, uh, it is a full circle of life, uh, the advice you received from Red Arbach. So, Jerry, you spend one year here in Chicago, and you're a Chicagoan. How did Phoenix uh, put together something so enticing that you would want to leave Chicago for the upstart Phoenix Suns? Well, let's use the uh, uh, the record. Uh, let's, let's check the record, first of all. Chicago was the 10th team in 1966 in 67 seattle in san diego which is now houston came in and then the following year in 68 phoenix and milwaukee all right so two years okay and so um i had been contacted by a, a group in milwaukee before the announcement or the the actual announcement of uh, the two teams and so I was very close to Al McGuire, who was coaching at Marquette at the time. And uh, we had some great conversations about the possibility of he and I teaming up together in Milwaukee uh, with that franchise. And once the announcement took place that the two cities were in, I had the Milwaukee job. Dick Klein didn't want me leaving Chicago. And I left on a one-day trip to look at some center at uh, Southern Colorado State, a seven-footer. You know, you always chase seven-footers. <laughs> and uh, he was another one who couldn't play, by the way. But I got a call from an individual who introduced himself um, by the name of Dick Block, who had met Sam Schulman playing tennis, and Schulman had really strongly urged him to call me. And so I received a call. Um, I made a decision that I would at least listen to what was said. And my story is it was 20 below zero when I left Chicago to get on a plane to go to Phoenix. And I landed at Terminal 1, and it was 70 degrees with some palm trees swaying. And I smelled orange blossoms in the air. And by the end of the day... um, I had committed that I was going to Phoenix. And and Dick Klein uh, let you out and said best wishes and good luck? He did. He really didn't want... I was torn. I remember, and I'll give you a name, Bill Gleason. Yes. Who was a a great friend, a terrific sports writer, columnist, etc. When all of this was happening, you know, he said to me, Jerry, you can't leave. You're a Chicago guy. You can't leave. This is your home. 
this is where you belong. And, you know, it was really tough for me making that decision. Um, but I guess I was ready to not bolt, but ready to uh, take on something totally independent. And so, you know, uh, we packed our nine suitcases and we had three little kids at the time, two, four and six years of age. And we got on a plane and showed up in uh, Arizona on uh, March 1st of 1968. And the rest of it is kind of history. Yes, it is. Jerry, like, like the first month when you're there, do you ever wake up and say, what in the heck did I do? <laughs> I mean, did, did, were you no. torn at all? Because, I mean, here we're talking about Chicago Heights. We're talking about the University of Illinois. We're talking about friends. We're talking about two years with the Chicago Bulls. You have tons of friends here. And I know it's a new challenge, but did you ever second guess yourself early when you arrived in Phoenix? I didn't, um, and, I, and I say that quickly because, uh, because Chuck, I think I was being prepared my whole life for that, for that moment. Uh, and I think playing sports as much as I did, as competitively as I did, both in baseball and basketball, um, again prepared me for that for that challenge. And uh, bear in mind that um, when I came to Arizona, it was a totally different landscape. It was a small town compared to a, a big city with four and a half million people in it. I think the population back then was 700,000. Uh, but I saw a blank canvas, and it was an opportunity to do everything, paint my own landscape, if you will, that anything I do would be done for the first time. And so that was exciting. That was challenging. And, you know, things happen quickly. Um we we played our first uh, first game like six months later. Uh, we were sixteen and sixty six that first year and lost the flip for Jabbar uh, in the coin flip. Um, yeah, you know what, Jerry? I was, I, I was going to say not to interrupt you. I apologize, but I've seen that video time and time again. I'm sure that's the last one you want to see of it. But it shows you, you as as the coin flip is made. And you agonize, and your head just drops. Um, wow, that must have been devastating at the time. Well, it was because I was so confident we were going to win the flip. And, and so I remember after dealing with the media uh, and losing such a monumental coin flip that I drove around town for hours and then came back to the office and said, well, we're going to have to do it the hard way. And... Uh, we proceeded to uh, win another coin flip for the rights to Connie Hawkins out of the ABA. Mm -hmm. We traded for Paul Silas, uh, which was a terrific pickup at the time. We drafted Neil Walk, a 6'10 center from Florida, who had a brief career, but one year averaged 20 and 12. Um, he really did have some ability. Um, unfortunately, his personal life um, kind of took its toll. And, uh, and by the way, we just lost Neil this past year. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a very sad story, but, but anyway, we went from 16 wins to 39 wins. It was the biggest turnaround in the history of the NBA. And this was our second year. And at mid season of that year, I fired my good friend, Johnny Kerr and took over myself as coach. And we made a run. And we made the playoffs 
and we played the Lakers when they had Wilt Chamberlain. You remember that name? Mm-hmm. Um, he, this is the second time he came into my life, big time. Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, and we had them down three games to one, and they came back and beat us in seven. So Wilt got me twice. And then the following year, he did it a third time when he got his 25,000 point in Phoenix. And of all things, I had to give him the game ball. I wasn't happy about that. <laughs> wow. So, so Jerry, another question. We only have a few minutes, and we appreciate your time. So, like, you, you took over interim. How many times were you an interim head coach in Phoenix? Once, twice? Uh, how did that twice. work? Twice. I did it twice. Um, after that second season, I hired Cotton Fitzsimmons, who came in and had two outstanding years. He went 48-34, 49-33. We didn't make the playoffs. We were in the same division with Chicago and Milwaukee. We were uh, in the wrong division. Uh, we had the fourth best record in the league and didn't make the playoffs, as silly as that sounds. Mm. And the sixth best record the next year, and the same, same rule applied. Uh, Cotton was frustrated. He went to Atlanta. Uh, I hired Butch Van Bredikoff who lasted seven games, and I coached the rest of the season. Finally got it out of my system and uh, hired John McLeod, who coached in Phoenix for 13 and a half years. So so you, uh, a coach left seven games into the season, Butch Van Bredikoff, and you took over, uh, and you said you got it out of your system. Were you not made to coach, in a sense, with just – everything that a coach has to deal with or why didn't you because I mean your pedigree obviously in the front office speaks for itself you're in the hall of fame but as a coach were you driven or was that something I don't think I want to do it well uh, things were beginning to change in the NBA and more people were being added so the structure internal structures were different assistant coaches were being hired uh, organizations were adding people, uh, and one person just couldn't handle all that responsibility. Bear in mind, when when I coached, I was the GM, the coach. I didn't have assistant coaches. I didn't have a scout. I was doing it all myself, and how long can one do that? Uh, when you look today at uh, probably 30 people who do, do handle all of that uh, volume of work today, it's just a different world we live in. Hmm. Jerry, uh, because I, I, everyone knows your foundation, you're, you're just a, a tremendous person, but you're also, you, you're also running a business. How difficult was it to release people in terms of coaches or make trades? Because I'm sure you got close to these people. I mean, this is a family. You've always you know, run your businesses as family. How, how tough was it when the time came where you had to call someone in and say, you know what, things aren't working, we're going to make a move, or listen, we just traded you uh, and we wish you well. I mean, did it, did it rip you apart at times after they left your office? And did you have those quiet moments or how did that work? Well, there's no doubt about it. When you're dealing with the human element and, and uh, people are being traded, you know, I always refrain from saying I traded someone. You know, you trade the contract of a player. You know, these are not commodities. These are, these are people. These are human beings. And so, um, yes, that's the toughest thing I've ever done in, in my career was dealing with 
uh, with people who were cut from a franchise, the trades that took place, the injuries that took players out of the, out of a career, and all the things that happen in life that uh, take their toll. So, um, but I, I, I'm proud of this, Chuck, and that is we built in Arizona, uh, a real family organization. People never wanted to leave us. Um, you know, it became um, the place and only place people wanted to be. And uh, uh, I am proud of one other thing that means a lot to me, and it goes back to the old neighborhood. And that is my word was my bond. And I was able to go through a 50-plus year career in pro sports on a handshake, uh, something that's difficult to do, in, in they say, in today's world. Uh, if that's true, I'm glad I came along exactly when I did. Mm. Jerry, final question, um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the, the performance you've done uh, with USA Basketball, the Olympics. Um, this was and, and this is me. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but it seemed like we're USA basketball before you arrived. I mean, I'm sure the people tried very hard, but there was lack of direction, lack of foundation. So w did you go to David Stern and suggest, hey, let me let me have a chance at running this? Did he come to you? And how did you two decide and settle about direction, guidance, plan, sure. procedure? Sure. Well, let's uh, let's go back to 2004. Um, uh, as you know, I had started also the baseball franchise in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Our first season was in '98. The Arizona Diamondbacks. We won a World Series in 2001. Uh, after four years, that was the quickest ever in the history of baseball. Um, uh, in 2004, uh, I stepped down from that position after. Um, doing all that I felt I was asked to do, bring baseball to Phoenix, build a stadium, and we won it. Uh, there was nothing left there. As far as basketball, I was fortunate enough to, within the system, not with outside business or income, uh, end up owning the franchise. Um, the purchase was in 87, uh, and the Suns were sold in 04. I had prostate cancer in 04, uh, so the year ended with a whole different world for me looking forward to 05, and that's when David Stern called and said, look, we had a dismal uh, dismal response by our USA team in Athens in 04. Would you take, it, take over USA basketball? And I said I would if I had total autonomy uh, in picking coaches and players and so forth. And that was granted. And so my uh, run with USA Basketball began um, in the uh, spring of 2005. Mm. Well, and uh, the record speaks for itself. Jerry, we want to thank you for your time. And thanks for sharing about Chicago. You know, you are a Chicagoan, and I know that you know, your, your home and, and your life and whatnot uh, is out west. But uh, at the same time, you know how much Chicago has embraced you, and in turn, you've embraced Chicago as well with the National Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame sure. and whatnot with the Colangelo sure. Building on Taylor Street. So thanks, Jerry, very, very much. All right, Chuck. You take care.
Bye-bye. Our thanks to Jerry Colangelo. Wow, what an impactful basketball and beyond basketball, baseball, humanitarian, philanthropist, everything he has done, Jerry Colangelo. We thank him for his time and join us again next week for Time Out Bulls. Lexus is a proud partner of the Chicago Bulls. Visit your Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to see how sophistication can be daring in the redesigned 2017 Lexus RX.